You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi there, good people of the interwebs and World Wide Web and Information Superhighway, whatever they're calling it these days. I'm here to tell you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop, little shop out of Bend, Oregon, local to me, and one of my favorite places on the planet, making wiring harnesses for your guitars. They make all kinds of different stuff. They have a lot of stuff in stock, ready to go. I myself uh, am planning on doing that treble bleed mod that I got in the other day, and I'm here to tell you the packaging, the service, everything has been bang a bang-up job so far, and it even smelled good, which is kind of crazy. I don't know what's going on there, but it did smell good when I opened it. And you can tell everything is very high quality, a ton of attention to detail put into everything. I can't wait to install it in my Les Paul special and get rid of those scratchy pots and add a treble bleed circuit to the thing. So I'll let you know as soon as I get that installed how it goes. But so far, customer service, shipping, and I talked to Sean for a while. He's a good dude. So GunStreetWiringShop.com, check him out for your guitar wiring needs. And as always, we are brought to you yet again by the wonderful and beautiful and so amazing folks at Sinusoid. Sinusoid Custom Cables. Have we talked about their slate? We have talked about their slate. I know we have, but it's been a while. Let's talk about their slate again. They've got their own cable that you can't get anywhere else. Yes, they carry other brands. They got Gotham. They got Omagami, etc. But they also have their own cable custom made for them, the slate. Everything from the amount of capacitance down to the jacket material is custom for them, and it's made so it kind of grips on stage a little bit and slides in just the right way. They had a bunch of different touring musicians. Check it out. It's made with love and care like all their products and also has a 100-year warranty. So go check out the slate for when you want to get real fancy. And when you're when you're ready, Sinusoid's there for you. Sinusoid.com and treat yourself. Hello everyone, welcome back to the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. As you know, I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today I have a, a mystical man from the internet. His name is Joe Branton from the Guitar Nerds podcast and the band Polymath. How are you doing? Yes, today? it is I. I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, How's it going? Well, it's going good now that I remembered that we were supposed to do this. Because I had this nagging feeling in the back of my head that it's like I'm supposed to be doing something with somebody today from the interwebs. Who is it? And then all of a sudden, I seen your name pop up in something else, and I was like, "It's Joe. Joe is who I'm supposed to be talking to right now." We, and then I messaged you. Yes. Um, so sorry about that. No, not at all. It's a lazy day. It's a it's a bank holiday on the day that we were recording this. It is a bank holiday in the UK, so uh, I literally have nothing to do. Is it really? What are you? Yeah. What are you guys celebrating today? I, I couldn't tell you. It's uh, oh. no, no idea. There's, I don't know. Uh, it, but it's a bank holiday, so all right, it's, it's a bank holiday weekend. But it's a, it's Memorial Day over here. I wasn't aware if you guys celebrated that or not. So it's a holiday here as well. How about that? Yes, with it we we do, but this isn't that day. For... I got it. Got it. Well, odd coincidence, and it's also convenient that while I was messaging you about podcasts that those fighters that flew over my head didn't blow us up. 
because that's what I thought they were going to do. Because they were like two, three hundred feet above my house. It was it was weird. Things got yeah, weird that, for a minute. That's far too close for that. That was probably the the oddest reply to you know in the middle of a conversation about doing a podcast. Sort of you you suddenly being like, oh my god, there are fighter jets flying over my head. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not a thing that happens where I'm at very often. Especially not that low. That's the lowest I've ever seen them. It, it gave me a... I don't get worried about much, but that gave me a, a little pause for concern there. Um, but we're still here, so I guess all is well, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe they're just practicing. We can hope. <laughs> so, maybe we should start with, for my people who maybe don't listen to the... The guitar nerds, which there probably isn't any, they probably all do. But in case there's a few that don't, maybe you can give a little backstory about uh, yourself musically and how it kind of translated into your band. And you do, you do everything you do is kind of music related. So we'll let you tell the story. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, yes. Uh, so uh, I am one quarter of four people who, <clears throat> well, obviously, yeah, four. Well, I guess it could have been eight, couldn't it? Or, or, increments of that but yes i'm one quarter of four people who uh head up the guitar nerds podcast uh which is a uh which is just like a, a weekly uk based sort of news related uh guitar podcast um and we have our our main show which is which is you know as as all podcasts are completely free and um and available on all good you know, podcasting devices. That's an hour long every week where we'll talk about all the new stuff that's come out. We'll talk about, we'll, we'll take questions from the group and then we'll, we'll pick a few topics that we want to discuss as well. And then we also have our own Patreon where we do, uh, interviews and mini series. Um, I get to host my own mini series called the Branton Ranton where I mostly talk about things that I hate, but it's entirely dedicated to things that I hate in the guitar industry. And it mostly revolves around John Mayer. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's guitar. It's out, outside of the podcast. It started as a, as a podcast about five years ago. Um, we it originally started under another name. We, we all used to work in the same guitar shop in Brighton, uh, GAC. And it originally started as the, uh, the GAK podcast, uh, same four people. But as we left one by one, we decided to make it an entity in its own right. And then outside of the podcast, we also, run a youtube and an instagram channel as well mm -hmm. and uh where did that all like start from those things don't generally just kind of pop up out of nowhere and you know you've yeah. been in the guitar business on the retail side for a long time in addition to having your band so where did yeah. that all kind of start from when you were when you were a child or whenever you started playing well uh well yeah i, I mean i guess I, I I grew up in uh, a little London overspill town uh, called Watford, and it's it's completely rubbish. There's nothing to do there, and there was just one secondhand guitar shop there. And so, kind of from very early on, I was uh, I was really into guitars, and I got um, I got a job working there on weekends with you know sort of like a, another friend of mine who would be. You know, we were probably you know two of the only like maybe eight people in the town that played in bands and so you know i got i got really interested in guitars from there and then mm -hmm. i you know years years later when i eventually moved to brighton i i um i was actually i was a kitchen designer at the time when i moved here and um and i got a job in a guitar shop which is where i met the other three 
the other three guys and to be honest it came from i was i was running the bass department at the time uh mark who's our podcast host was um he was working part-time he used to be the assistant manager at the shop was was back from university and then we had matt knight and jay cross who were the manager and assistant manager at the shop and to be honest it came down to we were the four people there was probably 20 people that work in the shop because GAK's one of the biggest guitar shops in the uk um but i think we were the the four that got on the best and to be honest like the four that would stay late and maybe go to the pub across the road and have a beer and continue to talk about guitar stuff and then i think one day mark had the idea of like maybe we should actually just record this because you know we're, we're doing it anyway so, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess, uh, and I guess that is that is the origin of 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 guitar nerds and where where sort of the GAC podcast and then the guitar nerds podcast started from. But for for me, I've I've always played in bands and always played like bass and guitar, and I've always been terrible at like just buying gear and collecting it and then only selling it when I fall short of rent and stuff. So right. you know, the, the gear, gear obsession has been something I've had for a, a long, long time. Yeah, and being in a guitar, you know, retail space, that uh, that could prove very dangerous, I imagine, oh, with the is, amount of things that come across the door and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst. The amount of between the four guitar notes, guys, the amount of advances we must have had on like on 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 our on our, our wages, just so that we could pick up gear, especially when it came to secondhand stuff because at least with new stuff you kind of had a heads up we you know it would get announced at nam we'd know what products were coming out and so that gives you time to get excited and then that excitement died down and you sort of <laughs> be like yeah, it's, it's okay but when secondhand stuff comes in you immediately see it and you get excited about it and then you know before you know it you you've given sort of you know 500 a thousand pounds out of your monthly wage right in- and it's like oh whoops i forgot about that um <laughs> yeah What's uh? So you're you're still at uh you're still at GAC, right? You're still I'm there? the I'm the last one. Yeah, I'm the underachiever. So yeah, so I'm the uh, <laughs> I'm the, <laughs> so so yeah. So at, at the moment, as it stands, um, Mark, our our host, uh, he now at he now heads up marketing for a, a headphone company. Uh, Jay Cross works for Fender actually as the the headphone marketing manager for Fender, and then uh, Matt Knight is now the. Oh, his his job role is ridiculous now. I think he is now the sales and marketing manager for all of Boss Europe. I think mm-hmm. that's, he, he yeah. you know he's he's got the big the biggest job of the four of us. And I'm I'm the marketing manager at GAC, so I've ascended the least out of the out of the four. But I'm definitely <laughs> I'm definitely more into gear than the others, so it's fine. <laughs> so, so it all it all pencils out in the end, right? Exactly. I mean, what do those other guys know about gear anyway? Right? Nothing. <laughs> nothing at all nothing um that's really interesting so what about your band how long have you been in polymath let's talk about that a little bit that's that seems to go by the wayside uh sometimes on your own podcast in my opinion but like you're out of the guitar podcasting crew uh, that we all kind of intermix and talk with each other and talk at nam and all that stuff it seems like you have the most active band is that incorrect uh, or no? Yeah, no. I, no. That that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I I certainly do. I mean, it's it's. I have an active band within probably one of the most niche genres 
in the world but um but that's great because niche genres have really devout audiences and um and i just have great time you know a great time doing it so polymath mm -hmm. polymath started about the same time as the podcast actually about five five or six years ago um and it was it was a side project because uh, it was three friends who you know were all doing separate bands and we wanted something where we weren't trying to you know make music to do anything with it we just wanted to you know see see what happened and it also came from the fact that we we were the only three people that any of us knew who were obsessed with the Mars Volta, King mm -hmm. Crimson, Yes, and 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 you know all that all that prog stuff. So Polymath is an instrumental three piece. Although we have recently now we we now tour with a with a live organ player because uh, previously our, our drummer Chris played organs as well as drumming, but on the new mm -hmm. on the newer stuff it's it's become a bit too a bit too difficult. So yeah, it's it's an instrumental like prog math three piece that that has a, a, a harks you know to king crimson and and the mars Volta quite a lot but yeah we you know we we've we've done quite a lot I, I, for for a small band so the the great thing about niche genres like like math rock is that you know that the, there are towns where it's really popular so in the uk you've got like you have brighton bristol london leeds and then glasgow in scotland are all great for it and then there are these fantastic little parts of of europe in in belgium and germany especially um and and, and prague in the czech republic where where the you know that that sort of music's really popular and you can you can go there and play a sold out show and sell like you know 500 quid's worth of merch or whatever it's 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 mm -hmm. there are these strongholds that are really really good for us and um and so I guess Polymath have, we've put out EPs, then records this year, uh, a, a, a couple of months ago, we put out, um, we put out a double, we put out a double album, um, across two record labels. And we, we, we genuinely tried to make the most like pretentious thing we could. We wanted to just see how, how far we could push being completely ridiculous and <laughs> we, we said from the start we were like if we get a one out of ten somewhere like we'll know that we've achieved that we know that we've gone too far but uh we we didn't get any one out of tens unfortunately but we got like we got a, a string of 10 out of tens a couple of nine out of tens a five star kerrang gave us an eight out of ten and and they then wanted to host our our, our video for a new single we got played on BBC Radio One, which is the biggest radio station in the UK, and we got played on on the rock show on that, which is the biggest alternative um, show essentially in the UK. So it's all all gone very well for sort of three guys pushing forty playing instrumental prog. Well, well, see, I listened to a bit of that record and specifically the stuff that Kerrang shared. Uh, and what I I haven't listened to your whole catalog, admittedly, but the what I I you know I thought because that's not really my style that's not my thing at all but I thought it was very accessible for that kind of music so it's interesting to me that you guys were trying to be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't mean. know how that happened. I listened to it. I listened <laughs> to that, and I was like, "This is really cool. Like, I I can get down. I can get down with this." And normally, I don't I don't gravitate towards that that style of music. I'm very rudimentary and. Uh, my playing and very stripped down and just kind of heavy right hand type stuff. 
So I, um, I was, I was actually surprised at how, how much I was enjoying it to be perfectly honest. I, so that's kind of crazy that you were trying to be insane. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but we, we are. And I think there are parts of the record that, that are definitely much weirder. Like we have a big section of the record. That's, that's just a, a conversation that, uh, we had recorded. We, we gave our listeners the opportunity to read out parts of a script and send it in. And then we just live manipulated it through like, um, space, uh, space echoes. And we put that out as a track and we did things like there's a four minute cowbell solo going into, uh, going into a, an old blood, uh, noise endeavors fault. And, oh, um, yes. And, uh, I think, uh, an electro Faustus guitar disruptor and then into an, an RE. Two oh one, so yeah, that like, which 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 is which is completely which is ridiculous, but um, but yeah, I think that you you're absolutely right. Stuff like the sort of instrumental prog scene can do this terrible thing where they they'll find an idea and they'll sit on it and they'll develop it and develop it, and then you've listened to ten minutes of the same riff getting a bit louder on loop. It's it's it seems to be a real um. It's something I don't like. I think it's important. If, if you're not going to have vocals, you've still got to keep everything interesting. And you can go the other way. Like one of my favorite bands and good friends of ours are a band called Body Hound. And they have a, they have a no repeat rule. So if they play a progression, they, they won't ever repeat that. So oh, wow. every, every song's a complete journey from A to B. There's no dipping back and forward. And, and it's impressive and incredible. Um, and you know, we rip off their, some of their riffs wherever we can, but the difference is we'll repeat them so that people remember <laughs> them. <I> think, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, that a lot of bands in our genre can, can go one of those two directions. And I think it's important with a composition. It's still got to be a song. It's still got to be something you can make it in the weirdest time signature you want, but you've still got to make it in, in listenable. I, I don't think that's the right word, but you know, it, it's still got to be a track. It's still got to be something people enjoy. Right. Yeah, I get into some weird time signatures myself. Like sometimes instead of writing things in 4-4, four, four, occasionally I'll write them in 3-4. Wow. And yeah, uh, that's... yeah, I get really out there with it, you know. That's pushing know. that envelope. That's... that's me. And one once in a while there's more than three chords. So <laughs> Mate, I mean, we, we you play, know, I don't want to be we play... <laughs> I was Go. just saying I don't want to be seen as an innovator, but you know, I, some people call <laughs> that in the past. <laughs> we play every song in the same key, so if we ever forget where we are or we're too drunk when we're playing live, you can always just hit the guitar with your right hand, and it will probably sound okay. Oh, that's perfect. I, I, I could, yeah, I could, I could do that. That's for for guys like me. There you go. There's oh. a tip. Write every song in the same key. Every song in the same key. Play open tunings. You'll be fine. Yeah. Don't exactly. don't perfect. worry about it. Well, I guess that is a good question because you guys do get out there and get weird. Do you play in traditional tunings most of the time? Uh, uh, no, we, we, we have three, three tunings primarily. Um, and they're either, so our most standard one is actually standard. I guess it, it, it's the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our guitarist Tim plays, he has, uh, he's a left handed guitarist, but he strings right handed. So he plays treble to, to bass. What? string wise so so the string the string closest to him would be his high e well high d 
if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. it's, it's like, like, because he learned on right-handed guitars, but he's left-handed, he just never switched the strings around. So he plays upside down, which makes it very difficult to, um, for me, when he's writing stuff, because I have to like turn my head upside down to try and work out what chords he's, he's actually playing. Um, but yeah, he plays, he plays an SG Junior strung up with 13s. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're in we're in D standard, um, or we'll drop that low D uh, down to an A, and play okay. everything in everything in D standard, but with an open A instead. So we we tend to be those. And for one track, we we started messing around with drop C and didn't really like it, um, but we do have a couple of tracks in drop C. Is it relatively conservative? I guess we did try, and we we're going to go back to it, but it was annoying because we had to bring extra guitars to the shows. We were trying new standard. Do you know new standard tuning? I don't know new standard tuning. Uh, yeah, what so is that? Uh, um, so developed by uh, by Fripp by uh, by King Crimson's um, Robert Fripp. So he, it, okay. he the idea was that um, it tunes in. I'm not very good with stuff. I think it tunes in fifths, but it meant that you needed to have the equivalent of you know you had to have something hefty, something like a like a you know a 45 or 50 on your lower string but then you'd need you'd need like a seven on your high string to be able to get it up high enough and and he used to use he used to use a banjo string to it to achieve it but you know it's it's uh, it's difficult to do and if you try and do it with like a set of eights or something it's still so tight that that string will inevitably break after a short space of time that's fascinating i'll have to i'm gonna have to look into that i haven't is, yeah. And so does that affect, um, that has to completely change the pattern of your mm. chords and how you run up and down the neck as well when you do that, right? Exactly. He, he developed it because he wanted, he wanted to sound um, unconventional without, um, without necessarily having to, to learn uh, new, new hand shapes or new runs. So you can apply a lot of, um, a lot of conventional hand shapes to this tuning. And it, it just uh, it gives you access to loads of other weird and interesting stuff. He was a he was another really interesting guitarist because he uh, he was left-handed, but he played right-handed, which is why he always sits down to play because he had to really concentrate. I mean, he could play either way, but um, he he played right-handed a lot, and uh, yeah, had to always sit down. That's that's interesting. Yeah, because there's been a lot of uh, people talking about left-handed versus right-handed on the interwebs and some and I've heard some guitar instructors and I don't know I'm I'm my right hand I'm very right-handed uh uh-huh. and so that's never really been a problem for me but I've seen some people saying that lefties should learn right-handed and I've seen people really? say no that's dumb uh I don't really have a big opinion on it cuz it's not me but it would seem to it makes sense to me that guitar playing isn't really a a natural thing to do anyway like yeah. you have to learn how to do it so to me it almost makes sense if you are left-handed to learn right-handed but i could be wrong i really don't know it just makes sense to me um yeah yeah I, I, i'm i'm not sure i mean i think uh, a lot of people who were um back when being left-handed was seen as incorrect when people were corrected in schools and, mm-hmm. and were forced to use their right hand that caused um that caused a people to stutter and to develop like speech impediments on the back of that so i don't know i i have absolutely no idea how that impacts it but, uh, but who knows? i didn't I mean, know that 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. Really, so they would actually, they would cause mental distress because it, but I would think that's like a little kid though, right? I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm, exactly. I, yeah, like a way, teenager way would probably be okay. Expertise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. What do I know about it? I, I just know that I have a lot more access to instruments because I played right hand. Oh, well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which I guess could be a bad thing for my wallet. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's all very fascinating. You know, it's interesting that we're talking tunings because that's not something I give a lot of thought to most of the time. I I play in generally in standard for almost all of my guitars, except recently I've been exploring baritone land. Um, oh yeah, and I just took my I just took just yesterday just for kicks I took my seven string and put it in uh in to uh, drop E, uh, which is about as floppy as a, as a string I've ever played. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but it sounds cool. Like, I'm really getting into messing with that a little more than I yeah. used to, especially in yeah, like, I, just generally lower tunings. Yeah, I love, like, lower tunings give you access to, to, to so much. They give you so much more scope. And um, just because you're filling out the hi-fi in sort of a different way, and I think, th- I think standard tuning is such a beaten track that I think, I mean, you don't have to be create, trying to create something original. That isn't, you know, the only purpose of music. But just, just turning something on its head and trying, trying, you know, trying something new with tunings, I think, can really open up doors. I, I, I've got a bass six. I, I absolutely love playing that. I wish I could play bass six for polymath, but I'd need to get it down even further. And like, you know, as as you know, bass sixes basically don't work anyway. Like they're that E standard tuning. It's just the strings are so floppy on a basics as it is without mm-hmm. having to drop it any further. Have you just thought about uh, messing with the, the string gauges on the basics and just seeing I mean, if you could get yeah. it into weirder places? I mean, I'd have to find someone that does like weird gauge strings for base sixes, which I'm sure, you know, I, I probably could find, but, but you, you, there's, there's, there's nothing out there. There's like one gauge for, um, for, for basic strings, one thing I, I did buy, I got some Labella flat wounds. They were mm-hmm. sixty, they were sixty pounds for for a pack Ooh. of uh, yeah, for a pack of strings. I mean, admittedly, I will never ever have to change them, and certainly just because they were flat wound, everything was a bit a bit more taut. So they're great, but you know, it's still still not not quite. You couldn't get this into D standard sort of thing. Hmm, interesting, very interesting. We'll have to explore this further. I'm determined. I'm I'm sure there's a way we can make that happen. I know people. We know people, Joe. We can make this happen. We probably can. <laughs> so, I know you've got a lot of opinions. I'm a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and we've talked uh, at, at length about things uh, at NAM and various other places. Um, but uh, what, what what's the deal with John Mayer? <laughs> why, why, why the why the hatred for Mr. Mayor? Uh, it, <clears throat> if, if, if I'm going to answer it genuinely, because he's a very easy target. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, if if yeah, okay, fine. So John John Mayer is just in. I don't think I, I'm just surprised that he is currently one of the most popular living guitar heroes i hate to give him that that mantle but he's he's become one of the most respected certainly one of the only um like 
boundary crossing relevant musicians well probably one of the only guys who's not a metal player who's getting a lot of like signature stuff and a lot of respect for his contributions to music Mm -hmm. you know one of the only people that's not either an old dude or a metal dude those are those are the people who are who are getting cool new stuff at the moment and i just i'm i am unconvinced that he has anything to offer i i just i think i can see through it i don't think people like john mayer i think they like the idea of being john mayer i think there's a distinct difference i can't imagine listening to such tepid yacht rock and being like yep this is this is this is great this is what i want to listen to he sounds like simply red i don't know if that band made it over to the u.s but <laughs> i don't know not sure i'll have to investigate that <laughs> they don't ring a bell <laughs> yeah well, uh, but there, yeah yeah go keep, go ahead no well no that's it it's just you know he's a well his his music's very tepid um every time he he uh does an interview or actually communicates with with people he comes across like um like a complete twit and uh and then that that kind of on top of on top of the sort of the the wet like absolute like have contributed nothing to the guitar industry releases that all his signature stuff has his his completely useless prs amp head for example <laughs> uh, or or like it, the, i mean the silver sky is 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 hands down one of the one of the least relevant releases ever in in the guitar world but probably has more has had more traction than any guitar in the last decade and that's the i thing. i uh yeah so i brought him up because well you mentioned him a little earlier and honestly i have a weird a weird feeling about john mayer um and it's because i was never a fan i never liked him um i didn't like him because and to, admittedly it's because my only exposure to him was his kind of pop singles um and i was like this is not for me why does anyone listen to this but um Upon, you know, digging a little bit further, I got a lot more respect for him as a player. But I think you're right when you say that people don't, um, I don't think they really like John Mayer. Like, there's hardcore John Mayer fans that like, that genuinely like his deep cuts. And I think some of those are pretty good, to be honest. But, um, I'm kind of with you in that I'm like, man, I think he's, he, People forget he got famous for writing, you know, pop songs. Um, I don't necessarily view him as, like you say, this sort of genre crashing, you know, monumental uh, force in the guitar industry or in the guitar playing world. But yet somehow he is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. with you on it. That's kind of the thing. I think, you know, if, if you want to talk about like contemporary blues players, we're inevitably going to mention... Uh, Joe Bonamassa as well, and I just think if if you want, I don't care about Joe Bonamassa's music either, but I I have respect for for the guy because of his contribution to everything, because of his incredible his incredible collection of instruments, because of his knowledge, because of you know doing things like when he was playing a show in in Brighton uh, a month or two ago, he uh, because it was in Brighton, he popped into um into gack into the guitar shop i work at mm-hmm. like checked out the the oldest 
guitar we had, which was like a, a 1963 uh, Gibson ES-335, bought it and then played it that night at his show. And I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, this, that's, that's, that's a... And, and when, I, when I dislike John Mayer, it is not, I don't care about his music. I don't care about anything outside of the guitar industry. It's when guitar fanatics idolize John Mayer as, being, as having contribution to guitar specifically you know this geeky thing that we're in i'm like well joe bonamassa has that he has he has tons of signature models he deliberately and completely knowingly creates fake beef about not liking pedals on the internet and right and, you know <laughs> takes great delight in playing this pretend villain and you know if you, you watch that little documentary on joe bonamassa of him like walking around his his home he even references the fact that he's like he talks about the fact that his music isn't for the you know the kids he's, he's like the music's not there for young people to like and he's like and why why should they he, he knows what he's doing he knows he's just he's just regurgitating the old stuff and it's not it's not supposed to be any more than he is he's celebrating something that was he's not sort of pretending to be the future of music he's just a guy who really likes gear and i i, I think i have way more respect he's what a guitar hero in the in, in the industry should be people like people like jack white who you know go around collecting those those um those booths that cut records yes. straight onto the vinyl like that i, that, I, that I did i recorded dream. in one of those oh that's amazing yeah that that's yeah. that's the dream was it stressful it was awesome it was very stressful um cuz you can't mess up you can't mess up and of course i do because that's what i do best and um it's just but it's like there's a Sorry to derail, but I mean, I no, kind of no, forgot. Um, yeah, they're in Third Man in, in Nashville. Uh, went in there and recorded a song. It's very, very tight. Um, yeah. They, they told me they had a what, guitar. What did you get in there with? I, I, I got in there with this. Yeah, that's where I was going. They, I called ahead and told them that, uh, asked them if they had a guitar there, and they did. When I got there, it was like a plastic guitar. Um, and not like an ovation or something. It was like some cheap plastic guitar. Um, but it almost fit the vibe, you know what I mean? Like, that's what yeah. you should be playing in there is some cheap old thing. Um, yeah. so, so I played a song in there and yeah, it was stressful. I, I gave a couple practice runs, but it was like, I can't mess this up. And then it got, it kind of made me think of, you know, we've been recording digitally for so long. I think we forget how it used to be done. And not that that that's professional true. musicians were going into those booths you know, those are more for novelty, but the, you had to be good. The way that the, you know, the, the first sort of recording to vinyl things worked, how you, how you had the, um, the, the weights mounted from the ceiling. And, and when they set those off, you had the time that it took those weights to, to reach the bottom, because that was, that was what was writing everything into the, onto the onto the vinyl I, I just think that stuff's incredible like there's so much more everything had to be you had to be so much less precious but mm-hmm. also had to be so much better I think I've, I've got loads of time for that sort of stuff I think it's really cool it, it's it's a fascinating thing to think about and it, it actually gave me a weird flashback it's not exactly the same thing but it was sort of the same um, or similar to my early early days of trying to record music um, we literally, like, my grandma was the only one with a computer, ironically, at the time. And <laughs> me and me and my friends would literally go over there when when they weren't going to be home, 
uh, they were going to be out for the day. Hey, can we use your computer? We're going to record some songs. And we'd be huddled around this little tiny microphone, um, just like one of those des- old desktop mics from, you know, the 90s, uh, using, like, Microsoft Sound Recorder. And we would adjust the EQ and everything by positioning ourselves in different places in the room. So, you know, the acoustic guitar would be close. The, the, the snare drum and the hi-hat would be pretty far away. Um, the drummer was banging on a, like a lampshade. But the weird thing was, is that recording program would only do one minute at a time. If you wanted to get more than one minute at a time out of it, you had to literally just like record silence. You like let it go for the full minute, hit stop, and then hit record again, and then it would add additional time. And then you could go back and record the full length, but you had to know how long the song was exactly. You couldn't just hit start and stop. <laughs> and so it was this <laughs> we really that, weird. Impressive. There's yeah, it was a it was a really fun time. Uh, we we made some really stupid stupid things on it, but it was a it was a, that was my first experience with recording music, and I don't know if I've ever talked about it on here before. Um, that that's absolutely incredible. But it's amazing how how things have progressed in that in that way. In that we've always been. It's always been about get arounds for situations, and and now I guess you know to, to a massive extent it isn't at all because all you need now is uh, is you know a laptop and a few decent plugins. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, cool. It is. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. But it, yeah, I uh, I do have respect for the the old musicians. You know, you go back and look at the the Wrecking Crew and guys like that, or people like that rather, and it's just like oh. I'm really not much of a musician at all, am I? Because <laughs> I, I just hit record however many times I need to till it sounds right. I yeah. couldn't even tell you how many tracks we'd recorded on our album. I mean, hundreds and hundreds before they got to the final take. Um, yeah. But you guys yeah, are probably yeah. tighter than that. <laughs> no, no, it's just we play so, so atonally that we can keep all the cock-ups and say that they were deliberate. Yeah, we did that on purpose. Well, you can't hear it, <laughs> yeah. you uncultured swine. Exactly. It's one of those genres where if uh, if you if you're listening to something and you think something sounds wrong, you don't want to say because you know you, you might just not have been cultured enough to have understood the reference. <laughs> that sounds like maybe I'm in the wrong genre. Maybe I need to yeah, get in. Exactly. Oh. I keep saying I only know three math. chords. Yeah, that's where I'm going. <laughs> I'm flying over right now. I got a lot of fuzz pedals to add to this. So let's talk about pedals, actually. I know you are a yeah, big okay. fan of a particular effect that doesn't have necessarily as widespread of appeal. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Uh, are we talking about vibrato? Yes. Yeah, uh, Yeah. I think, uh, I think vibrato is... is is a lost I don't understand why why it ever became sort of niche and certainly it, it was super niche like go back 10 years no one had vibrato pedals like it's almost the return of vibrato has happened recently but it's still it's still very very niche mm-hmm. and for me it was always like man this is it's a bit like chorus but not as cheesy like the 80s ruined chorus for everyone but this this was like vibrato was a way of of adding some texture to what you're doing without you know without sounding like the cure it was it it's great and and for you know for that reason i use it all over the place on my clean sound 
I was, I'm, I'm really into that actually, like the idea of subtle textures, like using modulation just to make everything, um, just to thicken everything up a little bit. And, and I'm especially into it on, on bass. I think it's a, cause I, I like playing simple, like repetitive, um, sort of lines that will maybe stick on the root, like a, a much like, much like the bass players that I love listening to, like, like Jack Bruce and John Paul Jones and, and, and one order at, they they often end up like sticking on a root, playing a little fill around that root, but essentially backing up the guitar whilst the guitar can go off and and do all sorts of things. And it's I th I think it's hard, but but kind of important to try and find a way that you can make that interesting without stealing the limelight. That's not the job of the bass. We're certainly not in that context. And and being able to just have something that that creates an unusual texture on a bass guitar and and for rhythm guitarists as well i think is really important i used to use a really slow phaser i'm really into i really like the mxr phase 90 i have an old script logo like led less um mxr phase 90 and i on the slowest setting i think i think that pedal sounds incredible but yeah like the brasso the boss bb2w is absolutely brilliant the, the tc electronic shaker i have a a, a signature tone print that you can download for that one that will do everything from like a simple vibrato to like a synth sound. Um, I really like Xander Effects. They do like a, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, probably, you know, a vibrato or something. And even like the TC Electronics uh, Tailspin, which is part of their new like super affordable, you know, uh, Behringer style um, range. They, they have mm -hmm. this, this two control tailspin, which is, which, which sounds fantastic. And it's, yeah, and it's super affordable. I mean, at, at the other at the other end of that spectrum, you have things like the uh, the Drybell Effects Vibe Machine, which uh, which, which is like a like a four hundred dollar pedal, and and that, I mean that thing sounds absolutely rad. That's a I I don't think in in my opinion I don't think modulation in general quite gets the love uh, that I think it deserves. Um, Vibrato, I don't use as much. I'm more of a phaser flanger guy. Uh, uh -huh. Occasionally with some chorus, but it has to be a really good chorus. There's a few yeah. choruses I really like, but overall, that's a really difficult effect for me to get into. Just like, you know, um, yeah. just like you said, the 80s kind of ruined it in, in some degree, despite overuse. Um, but man, slow phaser and flanger is, yeah. Yeah, is my absolutely. jam. Uh, yeah slow slow phaser especially like is it's, it's just such a especially when you're just sticking on like one or two notes so you've got you've got that just that that tone shift going in it, yeah as slowly as possible although do you know what? i find it so hard to find good phases i find it hard to find phases that will go as slowly as i want them to like i mentioned the phase 90 because it's like the only thing i know that can go as slow as i want it to maybe other than do you know like um do you know uh southampton pedals I, I'm familiar with the name, and I've seen I've seen them around, but I've never played them. Yeah, they're like a Canadian um, pedal uh, pedal manufacturer, and they do uh, they do a pedal called the Utility Knife, which is as as the name suggests, it's it's all modulation, but it's a really cool, super simple. So it's just like three rotary controls, and then you have a fourth that just you click through the various like tremolo, chorus, um, phaser, probably one other, probably flanger. But uh, but yeah, the phaser on there is great and super slow. But I, I, I find like it hard to find. 
uh, define good phasers. Uh, you, as you were telling me that, I just started thinking of my personal favorites. Um, and, you know, admittedly, I know the people behind both these brands really well, so it's going to sound like a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, repetitiveness for me in that, in that regard. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of solid gold effects. And I have been for years. They did the the Tone Mob Model 1 with me, and I talk to those guys yeah. all the time. But one thing they have is the Apollo 2. And I don't think that pedal gets the love it deserves, because it's absolutely one of my very favorite phasers ever. And the, the amount of control you have over your phase sound is kind of crazy, but it's also super easy to dial in. Yeah, um, it's... Um, I don't, I don't, I've, never, I've never tried one, but it's... that. Uh, it don't you have it's a it's a dual foot switch phaser. Yeah, it's right? a, it's got it, bypass and then a tap. Right, that's cool. Um, and you can select your interval. You don't have to use the tap, obviously. You can just set it, um, you know, with the knob. But uh, yeah, and it's got different waveforms, and it's just I've always thought that thing just sounded amazing. Um, and it sounds, you know, it's it doesn't sound. Basically, the amount of control you have over it is is really large without being overwhelming. I've seen a lot of them that get overwhelming to where you 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 don't even know what you're adjusting anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's half of my reason behind the the phase ninety is just having that single control and everything else just being preset in kind of the right place. Mm-hmm. I mean, the phase ninety is a classic for a reason. It sounds brilliant, and so does the small stone. You know. Yeah, at least yeah, I think true. so. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, the small stone is great. Do you know what I was actually surprised by? You know, Moore, they do mm-hmm. um they do like this, they've just put out like a Mod Factory Pro. So one of their little dual foot switch things. And then Mod Factory was their, you know, Swiss Army knife um of of uh, modulation. But this one allows you to have two um two different modulations on a on a dual foot switch and it allows you to choose how they run into each other. So you can have, mm. you know, A, B, B, A, you can have them, you can have them running out separately and run them in stereo. It's, it's, it's really cool. And I was, I was surprised at how good everything sounded on there and how well thought through and versatile it was. Cause with these companies where they're, when they're like, like Moore designed to make cheap copies of other people's stuff. So when you see something that's got some ingenuity behind it and it's, it's, it's quite a, a smart idea, I, I'm always pleasantly surprised. But yeah, the, the Mod Factory Pro is, is packing. That that company in particular is interesting, um, especially with what they're doing recently. It seems like they basically, uh, you know, I don't know if this is their thought process or what happened, but like you said, they they started off just making cheap copies of everything, and yeah, I felt I feel like they made a bunch of cheap copies of everything until they had the cash reserves built up to actually R and D some unique things, which it seems like they've been doing in the last couple of years, which is sort yeah. of I don't know if that's what they were intending on doing, but that's what it looks like outside looking. Well, I guess so, because they had like the they had that Devin Townsend signature pedal. The I can't remember what it was called. The Ocean Ocean Machine, which is like oh, that's right. Yeah, like it has it has it must have twenty rotary controls on the front, three mm-hmm. foot switches, a screen, and uh, and it has it's just loads of modulation and like weird delays and like Rainbow Machine style bits and bobs. I mean, I I found it virtually unusable, uh, but uh, but but like it is a great idea. The premise is great, and of course they released a uh, 
like their competition to the Helix and everything recently. And I think it was the G20 or G200. I can't remember exactly, but an, a really small, compact Helix style thing, which is pretty cool. I missed that one. I didn't see that. I seen yeah. the head rush, but I didn't see the more one. Yeah. Ooh, this one is much, much smaller. So it, it's not giving you, I think you've only got like three foot switches and an, an expression pedal. Um, so it's way more about, you know, you, you need to build in all of your presets and, and you need to you know, hop between, you, you have to use that up and down, you know, to sort of flick between what you're doing. But, you know, the, the fact is it's got all, it's got all the cab sims and the amp sims on there as, as well as, you know, a ton of effects. So I think for an, an entry level thing for people who are getting into that sort of thing or, or, you know, want to go more down that route, it, it seems like a, a great idea. And it's like, you know, whatever. 200 pounds how do you feel about all that stuff where do you land in the in the modeling versus other things war do you have a horse in the race i don't know it's 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 a tricky one because i'm um i'm sitting in uh, well i'm I'm sitting in my studio room staring at like this massive wall full of pedals and and I guess that would make me, and I love pedals. I love everything sort of a, about like changing your, my board like constantly and, um, and, and getting to try new stuff. But there is something to be said about the, the, the neat simplicity that's offered by um, these units. I think I still play shows where I don't want to rely on the PA. Um, I, I, I want to rely on an amplifier. So for me, I'm not there yet. I also don't think the options are really there for bass players. I, I think the, the, the Helix offers the best solutions, but I, I'm not quite ready to trust Line 6 um, at delivering uh, a bass tone. I think for guitarists, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an excellent solution. It's not necessarily for me, but I think if you know what you like, it's great. But if you like experimenting, I, I I think they can. I think they're great for people who know that they want a cleaner drive, a chorusy sound, and something that's a bit delayy. That's that's perfect. If that's what you want and that's all you need, then that's fine. If you've ever wanted to make weird noises, then I don't think it's for you. Yeah, I I think you you hit the nail on the head with the if you know what you want to sound like already, those those are great. But if yeah. you are, are yeah, I never really thought of it that way. I make fun of them a lot on the internet, but I don't, it's all tongue in cheek. I don't mean it really. I yeah. think they're really great pieces of engineering and I've played, I haven't played the Helix. I've played the head rush and I was like, it's a, this is pretty good. You know, like, yes, yeah, it's, it's the worst of the two for sure. But, um, it's easier to use than the Helix by a mile. I just, I'm, I don't, I'm not convinced by the sounds on the head rush as much. No, I didn't think it, I, I thought for some of the sounds, it, it was really good, and some it it wasn't. As soon as you started getting too much, uh, getting too dirty, it was like, okay, this sounds not right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I I but I've heard the I've heard the Helix. I've heard it plugged in. I kind of stand by the the same thing I say about good plugins. If you're running in, you know, straight into the box while recording, I don't know if you if it was well ex- executed, and I heard it on a recording. I don't know that I would be able to tell the difference, but yeah. in yeah, a room, in a room, I probably can. Maybe. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I don't I, know I that think for so. sure. I, I think so. Actually, I'm doing this thing at the moment. I'm testing my, uh, I'm, I'm testing how good my ear is with effects uh, because I because I also because I still work for for GAC and we we have a, a a YouTube channel that I run with another fella uh, from GAC for that and we've started doing this weekly thing called the GAC Show, which is a bit like the podcast but a, a video in that it's the two of us sat at a desk, um, but then we'll talk about and have cutaways to things that have happened in the week and we have a couple of games on there and we've introduced one called the shoebox challenge where um the the other guy that my co-host mark will pick a different mark not not guitarist mark mm-hmm. um, will pick um he picks five effects from one effect style so last week was choruses he picks five then he'll put three of them into the shoebox that i can't see and then i have to play guitar whilst he s- switches between the three and i've got to guess which three of the five were used and in what order oh that's interesting yeah. so it's, you, it's a good... uh, are these pedals that you've played before yeah so yeah so i always ask him to pick stuff that i know about bear in mind i've played most pedals so we're generally speaking we're quite <laughs> safe <laughs> i mean we, we, we I, I i almost didn't mean that as a, a boast i haven't played most pedals because you know i don't live in portland but but i for, for sort of for the pedal companies that GAC sell, I've mm-hmm. played most of them because GAC's, because it's such a big company and because like purchases for big companies are so corporate. Like I think the, the sort of the love for getting involved in weird kooky effects went long ago. So everything we sell is like a big major pedal brand. You know, there's no like cool quirky stuff. Well, not a lot of it anyway. Only the stuff that I managed to like just about squeeze in onto the company book. <laughs> um, so everything there, like, everything's Boss or MXR or TC or Earthquaker or Electroharmonics or Moore, you know, all all of the you know the the obvious brands. So so it's it's easier in that sense because most of the pedals have such a a, a well known classic sound anyway. Right, right, right. Okay, I I follow you. So I didn't realize that. I thought the for some reason in my head I thought that GAC was um, you know more interested in that maybe just because i assume just because you work there that they would be more yeah. interested in that but. yeah i think yeah we, well that's it we we try and w- w- the small amount of cool weird stuff that we have because i'm in charge of the marketing i will promote that stuff very heavily but but yeah you know it's 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 a it's a, a massive guitar shop i think we you know the thing we sell the most of are whatever the cheapest yamaha keyboard is you know it's it's it's, it's the same, you know, the, the same as, as I guess what Amazon sales are. Sell loads of starter pack guitars, sell loads of budget keyboards. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, I can't remember if it was myself or if it was Wampler who put in one of our Facebook groups, probably Brian, um, asked, like, do you guys buy guitar pedals on Amazon? And largely, there was a few that did, but largely people were like, no. They buy them direct yeah. from the um, uh, manufacturer, or they buy them from a small store somewhere, and I thought that was interesting. But it also speaks to the level of nerdiness, and uh, I say that as a good thing. Like the, the just the depth of people's caring about these weird effects brands and and things. And yeah, hundred percent. It, it's. I think that this is we're such we're such a geeky little subculture that i think we're, we're kind of quite secure in that people do care about in the same way that you know 
like oh this this perfectly brings it back for, to polymath actually in in the same sense that you know that i play you know a really weird genre of music and because of that people that like going to see that music make sure they buy all our stuff so that we can keep making music that same mm-hmm. thing applies to all, all the boutique stuff and especially effects obviously way more than you know amps still for sure and guitars for sure but you know i think guitar wise obviously there's still massive domination but from you know fender but um with effects you know every everyone's everyone's got something on their board that no one else has ever heard of you know pretty much yeah i mean how many board shots do you see and and you like probably 60 70 percent of them you're like hmm, i wonder what that thing is over there yeah exactly it's uh i think it's awesome and i think it's awesome that we have the the range of choices in that manner yeah but yeah i'm glad you brought up polymath because i was thinking literally the same thing i was like this is just like what joe was talking about with his band <laughs> you know <laughs> Like we are, uh, we are like down really, really tiny, uh, in the grand scheme of things. And, um, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's almost an interesting social experiment, isn't it? Like I know a lot of people and myself included will buy things, not just only based on how they sound, but based on their relationship with that particular builder. And I think that's yeah. awesome. Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I love buying stuff and, and uh, you, you know, being involved in companies where you know that the the, the people behind it uh, are, are doing it for the right reasons, that makes us feel better about supporting a brand. And I think, yeah, people are people are into that as a concept. That's true. It's very true. So let's see here. We're getting down to almost end time, but there was a couple more things I wanted to get into with you. And one of the things is, do you notice? I I feel like I notice. Uh, basically, you know, based on your show, a big difference between the guitar market in the UK and Europe versus the guitar market in the States. It seems like it, it shouldn't be as different as it is, but it, it seems a lot different to me. In, in, how do you think it's different? And I'll, then I'll tell you how I think it's different. Well, specifically with like, if you, if you look at the, you know, the, um, the American guitar media, and I mean that more in the online sense rather than guitar player magazine or something. But sure. there's there seems to be much less of a focus on what Gibson and Fender are up to versus what not that notwithstanding the recent Gibson media, of course. But um, like people generally are not so interested in that stuff. They're interested, but not as much as you guys tend to be. Seems like we focus more on what I was talking about the uh, the new guys and the small guys and the the wild new crazy thing. Where you guys kind of stick to more major known brands. And I don't know if that's just yeah. a byproduct of you guys being in guitar retail or what the story is there. I um I completely agree, but I th- I well I think I know why it is. I, I know why I think it is. It's um because you guys have a you have a guitar building industry um and we don't like you know virtually no companies are making guitars over here chapman chapman guitars have only just introduced their british built guitar line and they start at three and a half thousand pounds so you know they're not exactly an accessible price you know price area i mean of course you can still buy a, a an entry level Chapman that will be made out of world music, uh, world music co in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, but for actually British built guitars, 
we don't have a lot like fidelity are probably the coolest but they're like a super small company gordon smith but there, mm. there aren't a not a lot i could probably name all of them you know whereas you know <laughs> the the amount of small american company luthiers is, is endless and of course it's not the same as a pedal yeah most pedal uh, manufacturers are probably american as well but it's not too difficult to ship some pedals over whereas shipping a guitar is a, a much bigger deal and i think because of that you guys end up with with this great sort of vibrant guitar community where you can look elsewhere and you can go and have a chat with these luthiers and get something something mm -hmm. built or check out like a, a smaller uh line of existing guitars from a from a brand whereas we we just don't we don't have that we, we don't mm -hmm. have anyone really who's who's dominating the the market i mean the few we do have are incredibly good i mean like i i cannot recommend fidelity enough they're a little kent-based custom shop but again what's on their website at the moment like five six six guitars that are all sort of one-off builds for about two thousand quid it's it's you know not an incredibly accessible price point and i think for that reason and because the sort of 500 to a thousand pound price point is so so dominant over here mm -hmm. um people people look to the to the bigger brands so especially like fender have made a massive move in like the last year two years i think very astutely towards young new like fresh scene bands uh and away from this the, the ridiculous obsession they've had with with punk bands that were popular 15 years ago which is what they have that you know they've pretty much there must be more signature models for punk bands that i've never heard of at, out in you know the the fender and squire baseline than there are with any other company and this this new move to to getting involved with all young new fresh relevant music i think is very sensible and everything they're releasing seems to be very well marketed and well angled towards the new player and i think for that reason they've come in and managed to dominate an area where they have no competition from little boutique cool little boutique companies because there are no cool little boutique companies over there so people are just looking for who's the coolest company and at the moment you know it's fender yeah yeah that's that's true i think that's something that fender's done you know extraordinarily well versus obviously their biggest competitor gibson um gibson's very much fallen you know into and i say this as a gibson lover like i have gibson yeah i'm, I'm a big fan um, they've very much fallen, you know, to the, you know, rock doctor crowd as far as brand perception goes, you know, whether that's yeah, absolutely a hundred percent the case, I don't know, but the general public, that's what they think of. Um, well, I mean, do, do you know, yesterday I was at, I was at a, a festival in, in London, um, just this, this day festival there, some pretty big bands and yeah, as, as always I was checking out the gear and i think it, save for one band a hundred percent of the gear that was being used was fender a hundred percent every bass and every guitar i saw was fender and it's just that that sort of domination and and it was it was mostly like younger bands and i'm like i just don't see young people picking up gibsons anymore and and you can't use the argument that it's price related because gibson make cheaper american built guitars than fender do that's true it's, they it's, do they're just not the right guitars, I guess. And and that is interesting I mean, because. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was. I mean, you guys got that Amazon exclusive 
the the Les Paul, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was like a, a, a junior. It was a Gibson. It was like the SL, but it was the, a Gibson. The M2. Yeah, M2, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they, they came out in like five, six colors. Imagine if they'd been in every guitar shop. I think that sort of thing, ranges like that, that would change people's mind. I mean, I never, I've never seen an M2, so it, it was probably awful and fell apart. But imagine if they made that well and released it in fun colors and made it the right price. So the M2 like mop up with something like that. The M2 wasn't bad. I didn't buy it, but uh, uh, my friends Leon and Jess both got one, and they weren't bad. Like they, they they were well worth what you paid for. You know, two hundred two hundred yeah. bucks or something. It it was worth every bit of two hundred bucks, and I I I would say they were probably a. These ones in particular, I don't know if the, if across the board they were all this good. I would say if I paid $400 for that, I wouldn't be mad. Um, it yeah. needed a little bit of tweaking here and there, but most $400 guitars do. <laughs> so yeah. it, it wasn't, they weren't bad. And for 200, I thought they were a steal, but they weren't, they weren't amazing, yeah. but you, you definitely got more than what you paid for, in my opinion. Right. Um, That's cool. They're, they're literally they're about to land in the UK because they're no longer an Amazon exclusive. So I'm looking forward to seeing them actually come through the shop and be able to try one. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. I I do think that Gibson, like you say, as as a price point, like yes, they make insanely expensive guitars, but they they really have made guitars all the way across the board for a long time. My first electric was a uh uh like low end Les Paul. I still have it. It's a great, great guitar from like 2002 or something. Um, I just, and back in those days, I was, I forgot I was going to go there. There was a lot of bands playing Les Pauls, you know, that was in the kind of height of the mid early to mid two thousands kind of metal core thing. And the lots of people played Les Pauls. Um, it just yeah. doesn't seem as prevalent now. No. Yeah. There's definitely been, been a shift. And, you know, yeah, as, as you say, like they've always made guitars across the board. They're just not making the right ones. Like the, the Fender Offset series was just so on the money, making it at a time where certainly, it, I tell you what they were right for, and this may or may not have been deliberate for Fender because I've no idea how much they actually care about the UK market. But in, in the UK at the moment, there is a massive resurgence in grunge. So oh. releasing, releasing offsets at this time in like weird colors was a fantastic move because because grunge is everywhere everyone's buying quirky colored offsets so yeah a, a, a super smart move and it's just maybe that gibson have never they've they've never managed to release something that was in line with something because because grunge is so much more than a music uh than a genre it's it's you know in, in the same way that sort of metal or, or, or punk are as well it's uh um, it's it's like a, a lifestyle and a fashion choice as well. And so when you make something that can become a part of that, that can transcend just being a guitar, it can be part of a scene, then that's that's where you mop up. And I guess Gibson have never, not, not in recent time, there's nothing that's relying on a Gibson. There's nothing where like, I'm going to join a, I'm going to join a band that are going to sound like this. Obviously I have to buy an SG for that. You know, there's, there's nothing that's doing that at the moment. That's, that's true. The, the grunge sound and look and everything is very circled around Fender Offset. So that that was somebody over there paying attention to what's going on. 
which is really interesting. Um, yeah. I hope that resurgence kind of makes it over here. We're not seeing that here yet. Uh, I would really like it to, though. That would make me happy. Yeah. Yes, it's actually a good time at the moment, relatively. Nice. Nice. Well, Joe, we, we actually have a few more things that I've been, I've, I've really been dying to get into with you. And I know we're, we're a little bit over time, but if you have a few minutes, I'd like to, I'd like to touch on some more things. Let's do it. All right. First of all, I mean, you know, I don't know if you're putting on a show or, or what's going on, but you've been very pleasant and charming on this episode. How come uh, the rest of the guitar nerds hate you so much? <laughs> uh, uh, um. Uh, I've been as you've noticed. I've been pro Joe for as long as I've been aware of the podcast. Yeah. I'm always yeah. on. Your, I'm always. <laughs> well, I'm always on your side. Not always, but most of the I time. Make every everyone's always on my side, man. It's 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 only the the other three that that aren't. Do you know what I think? Um, I think uh, I was when I came into this. Do you know what? I've learned so so much from the other three. Whilst I think I get more excited about stuff than the rest of them do. I also think they, all of them have a couple of years on me, sort of working. Well, I'm actually, am I the oldest? I'm the second oldest, but, um, but they have a couple of years on me in working as part of Guitar Shop. So I, I learned so much of everything from, like when I first, like you can still listen to it now. It's still up there. The the first like GAC podcast episode. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say five or six words because when you know when I did that. I really, I, I was so, so into bass and so involved in bass that actually it's only been, it's only been since I've done the podcast that, you know, I'm now in a situation where in, in my room in front of me, there's a Gibson custom shop ES175. There's mm. a Fender American original 60s strap. There's a classic player 50s strap. Um, it's over there. There's like a Squire Jaguar. Like there's a ton of guitars. And I realize now, I have way more. I mean, in this room, there are three guitar amps. There's one of the Tweed Blues Juniors, a Vox AC15, a Boss Katana. There's, I've got so much. I've got so much more into uh, like guitar stuff than than bass stuff. And I think I did that through the podcast. When I started, I didn't know that much, and I think the guys always had to like coach me through stuff initially. So it's just from that. They sure de- have developed a lot of animosity towards you just from having to coach you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like you must like sneak like secretly like do something that we don't know about. You got to be like causing practice. <laughs> they just they have such no, vitriol it, for for Joe, and I, it makes me sad. I don't it's understand because they uh, they they don't have you notice they don't really I know have opinion <laughs> I know. on it. No, 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 <laughs> oh, no, no, no. They do. They, we hate each other. But are they uh, they they don't a- actually really have opinions on stuff. It's uh it's like um it's whereas I'll come in really hardline on stuff, and I think like they generally speaking dislike how much I dislike John Mayer because they don't want to offend people. <laughs> well, you know I'm okay with it. It doesn't offend Thanks, me. Thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate it. I and <laughs> I don't know. This is really just kind of a pitch for you guys. If you guys aren't listening to Guitar Nerds, what? Are, why? What are? What, stop this one. Go listen to that and then come back because we're almost done. But because some of these these jokes or these questions I'm asking are directly because of what Joe does on the show. So I would like to know because I'm I may have missed the episode or something. Um, what are the what is the origin story of Bo Banton? <laughs> uh, we. 
don't know so um <laughs> so about uh, so a little over a year ago sort of a year and three or four months we were all all four of us were in a car driving up to the birmingham guitar show and i got tagged in bo's first post and i was like what what is this and of course it couldn't have been any of the other guitar nerds because they were in the car with me and (laughs) (laughs) for the listeners who don't know what or who bo banton is i don't know who he is but what he is is uh um a parody instagram account of myself where he uploads the same photo of me every day and has done for 15 16 months now he also <laughs> he also direct messages me uh, well they i think it's more than one person uh direct messages me every morning at 7am um just to to make sure i'm up and about and um and yeah and and photoshops me into a lot of situations and occasionally remixes songs with me as well <laughs> oh it's, it's so funny to me i don't know why that's so funny to me but it really is highly my entertaining girlfriend, my girlfriend emma is 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 genuinely afraid of it i'm like that's it's fine it's quite funny it's actually like it's great publicity we released uh we released uh, a bope uh t-shirt which was my face in that red and blue, you know, that Obama hope thing. Mm-hmm. It was that, but with my face, and it said Bope. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's been our best-selling shirt by, by a long, long way, actually. So, uh, so, so, yeah, so from my perspective, I'm like, it's fine. It's like free advertising. It's so and, good. Uh, but but for, for Emma, she's like, you know, wants me to get a second lock on the front door. <laughs> So I I don't have uh, as devoted of a character as Bo by a long shot, but I don't know if you have seen this or not, but last year for Summer Nam, I've never made it to Summer Nam. I plan on it one of these days, but I've not done it yet. Um, We did a little thing. uh, Jonathan Diaz, a listener and community member, he had the idea to make a cardboard Blake to take to Summer Nam since he was going. And, um, we did a little charity thing and it was, it was really good that all went great. Thanks to everybody who was in on that, by the way. Um, but now there's a cardboard Blake Facebook account and I don't know who it is. Oh my, I didn't know there was a Facebook account for it. There's a Facebook account for cardboard Blake and he pops up once in a while into conversations and I don't know who it is, but yeah, there, there, there's a cardboard cutout of me, um, floating around Facebook somewhere. Uh, it's not. It's like I said, oh, yeah. not as not as pre- prevalent, but there it's there. I've got twenty two mutual friends. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay, add as friend. There we go. <laughs> so whatever is on cardboard Blake's page, I don't. I can can't claim any responsibility for it because I literally don't know who it is. <laughs> Amazing. So we both got alter egos. Well, Joe. Yeah. Uh, this this comes into the the final question. I know this is a rather complicated one, given your dietary restrictions. But, <laughs> but uh, what kind of pizza do you like? <clears throat> Not any sort of pizza that involves pineapple. Oh, thank you. For sure, that's for sure. We agree on yet another thing, another important topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
any pizza without pineapple that also happens to have a vegan cheese substitute on it. There you go. So the, your options are probably a little more available in Brighton than they were in Anaheim. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, Brighton is the uh, it, well, it's it's not it's it's the vegan capital of England. I think it's not in the UK because Glasgow is the is the vegan capital of the UK. It has more places to eat with vegan options per capita than, than anywhere else. But uh, but Brighton is certainly close. Like, man, there is a there is a pizza place at the top of my road where I get a choice of different cheeses on my pizza different vegan oh. cheeses that's, that's yeah options options you ought to come to portland we got we got a lot of vegan options here too if you ever feel an exploratory in fact um, mark was recently here he was wasn't he mark uh yeah mark i think Pack. so yeah he, he was here um if i remember his review uh, i can't remember for sure but it seemed like he drew a lot of similarities between brighton and portland which I found kind of interesting. Oh yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That yeah, there's, uh, um, yeah, Brighton and Portland have a, a, a similar level of uh, of of hipsterness, which which I, I'm very into. I think that's that's cool. So yeah, it, I Portland I'm does sound like too. a super cool place. Yeah, yeah Portland, Portland sounds like a place I could live. Yeah, I will. I fully intend to. I'm well, gonna come and stay with you. You can stay on the shred shed. Just all night, just banging away on weird atonal <laughs> riffs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I need. Nice. Well, thanks for coming on, Joe. Uh, everybody, go listen to Guitar Nerds if you aren't already. Um, I would be very surprised if you're not already, if you're listening to this. But if you're not, you can find it. Uh, Joe, where can you be found on the internet for anybody that wants to reach you? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you tap Guitar Nerds into any good um podcast provider then i'm sure you can find us that way we're on uh on acast the guitar nerds podcast you can find us on youtube at guitar nerds videos on instagram and twitter as guitar nerds and on facebook at um guitar nerds forum i think that's it who's guitar nerds forum now but yeah um join the chat all right we'll see you in there and is there anything else you want to plug this is your time. This is your time to shine. Uh, uh, I, I'm good for plugging it. You can check out Polymath at, uh, we at wearepolymath.bandcamp.com. God, that's long, isn't it? Or, you know, just type Polymath into anything, but make sure you use a dash between poly and math because really, unfortunately, recently, there has been a Scottish DJ who's turned up also called Polymath. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. Cease and desist. You guys have those over there? Send them yeah. a, a yeah, C&D. Yeah, I need to get on that. <laughs> get on that. Right on. All right, Joe. Well, that does it for this week. For Joe, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Cheers. Well, I got to be honest. That is not exactly what I expected to happen. But I sure did enjoy it, and I think... You all probably did, too. If you listened clear to this point and you're still listening to me talk, you probably liked the episode. And if you want more, you should definitely check out Guitar Nerds if you're not. Um, I can't imagine that you aren't already, but if you're not, yeah, definitely listen to their show. It's it's very funny, and I like what those guys, I like what those guys do over there. And I've almost collected all the nerds. I just need to get Jay.
Jay, I'm coming for you. You're going to come on the show one of these days. Anyway, if you need to get a hold of me for any reason, I'm on all the socials, pretty much. Um, in, in, uh, bleh, I can't talk. I've talked so much today. Info at tonemob.com is how to email me directly if you need anything. I'm here for you. If you could just tell your friends, family, coworkers, other guitar players, anybody and anyone who you might think likes guitar stuff or food, uh, have them check out the, the podcast. And I appreciate all the support. And I'll talk to you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.